God is good. His mercy endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. As we approach the word of God this morning, let us take a moment to seek God's face in prayer. Precious Heavenly Father, we pray today, as we humble our hearts before you, as we quiet our minds, that we would find room in our souls to hear the word of the Lord. Lord, our ears have been opened to hear every word but the, the word of the Lord. But today, at this moment, we shut our ears to every word except the word of the Lord. Amen. And we sanctify this time and we sanctify this moment and we say, Lord, at this time and in this moment, we sanctify our ears that we would hear you and you alone. And so we bind every work of darkness that would seek to insert a word of unbelief. And we sanctify this space in the name of Jesus and we drive out every power of opposition in Jesus' name. And we say that this is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we receive you, Jesus, holy child of Bethlehem. Be born in us this day. Cast out our sin and enter in. Descend on us, we pray, in your name. Amen. Amen. I just got two verses of scripture for you. They actually come from the book of Romans, chapter 8. I'm going to be looking at verses 17 and 18. Don't turn there, don't worry. Don't turn there, don't worry. It simply says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we might be glorified together. Sorry, I think that's verses 16 and 17, Romans chapter 8. Okay, you can turn there if you want. <laughs> the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Yes. To be a believer in Jesus Christ means that the Holy Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit. Do you know what it means to bear witness? When you resonate deeply with something, you're bearing yeah, witness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you hear somebody tell a story about how their wife was tripping and your wife be tripping, you bear witness. <laughs> when you hear somebody talking about how broke they are and you're broke, you bear witness. When somebody tells a story about losing their job and you just lost your job, you bear witness. But if, if you hear somebody tell a story about how they just fell deeply in love and you're deeply in love, you bear witness. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That is, there's this fellowship between the Holy Spirit and your spirit. If you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit is constantly telling your spirit, do you know you're a child of God? And your spirit's like, yeah, I am a child of God. Yeah, and the Holy yeah, Spirit's yeah, like, that's yeah. right, you're a child of God. And you're like, you know what, you're right, I am a child of God. Yeah. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit yeah. that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Because if somebody, you say you're my child, but you're not my heir, you lied on the first point. Because you ain't my child if you're not my heir. If children, then heirs. He had just said a couple verses later that we've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, which means that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's not just about saying a prayer so that you get this eternal insurance policy where you get to go to heaven after you die. It's about being adopted into God's family. Being his adopted son, being his adopted daughter, that's what it means. And if you are God's adopted son and adopted daughter, it means you are now an heir of God yeah. and a joint heir with Christ. Yeah. But then Paul gives us this one little word that's actually a transitional term that pivots the meaning of the passage, that turns the passage from a word that can be interpreted un and applied unconditionally to a word that has a condition. And that is the word if. The word if is so powerful that it can reverse everything that was said before the if. 
The word if is so powerful and so significant that you've got to pay attention to what comes after the if if you want to partake of what comes before the if. If you want what comes before the if, you've got to listen to what comes after the if. If I say, Nicole, you've been doing such a wonderful job, I'm going to double your salary starting tomorrow. And I'm going to give you your own corner office starting tomorrow. And the church is going to buy you a new car starting tomorrow. And the church is going to pay your rent starting tomorrow. And we're going to send you on a world cruise starting tomorrow if. You sign a contract to work for the rest of your life. Oh, that if was a powerful if. It was a big if. Do you hear what God is speaking to us through the Apostle Paul? He says, the Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're children of God. The Holy Spirit's going, you're a child of God. Your spirit's going, that's right, I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. That's right, I'm a child of God. And if a child, then an heir. I'm a joint heir with Christ, which means I share the same inheritance. It means that I inherit the whole kingdom of God. Everything in heaven and on earth, all things heaven and all things on earth belong to me because I'm an heir of the creator, of the maker of heaven and earth. Earth. Yes. I'm an heir if yeah. I get all of that if yeah. there's a lot of folks claiming that they get what bef- what comes before the if even though they're not willing to endure what comes after the yeah. if yeah, 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 yeah. and all you're doing is fooling yourself yeah. you ain't doing nothing but lying you don't get the before unless you pay attention to what's after. after. Yeah. The title of my sermon today is After the If. <laughs> if, pay attention, if indeed, meaning in truth, for real, not perpetration, not wannabeism, if indeed, if, if truly, If for real, you suffer with him. If you're willing to suffer with him, the spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. If you're willing to suffer with him, you're an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. If you're willing to suffer with him so that we might be glorified together. If. If you're willing to suffer with Christ, then you will participate in the glory of Christ. How many are willing to suffer with Christ? Just go ahead and look here. I'm ready to suffer with. Yeah, see, I I knew I wouldn't get every hand. (laughs) I knew there'd be a few crazy people in the room. You could tell who's really, really saved when you ask that question. But then there's some folks like, I don't don't know. I don't suffer. I don't mm. I didn't sign up for that. I came to church because they said Jesus was going to heal me and make my life better. They didn't tell me he was going to make me suffer. Mm -mm. I'm going to go find a church where they preach prosperity. (laughs) They ain't preaching no prosperity and blessing. I want my best life now. (laughs) I came here to maximize my moment. (laughs) Woo! You know what the problem is? We completely misunderstand suffering. And we completely misunderstand the suffering of Christ. We don't know what the suffering of Christ was all, is all about. We think it's one thing when it's actually far broader and far bigger than the category that we lock it into. Because if somebody talks to you about the suffering of Christ and says, you're going to suffer with Christ. Do you want to suffer with Christ? I'd be like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure. I remember when I was in Bible college and me and my buddy Tony were training for ministry and we were doing this service. with. Uh, we would do these services. We did Sunday school for the elderly. These were like super centennials that would come together to, to you know, I mean, yeah, no, seriously, like, like these people were old and they were old when I was young. So, you know, I mean, but, but it was wonderful. It was, it was a great training ground for young ministers like me and Tony. And I remember we were doing one service and Tony was doing a testimony service. And, and one of the ladies, she had to be in her 90s. She raised her hand and she said, I've just been going through terrible suffering in my body. The pain is out of control. And I, and I'm just, and she starts talking about all this pain she's in. And Tony goes, 
Amen. Isn't that our prayer that God would purge us in the furnace of affliction? And then he stopped and thought about what he just said, and he goes, actually, no, that's not my prayer. <laughs> that's not my prayer, <laughs> you know? Okay, that didn't hit as hard as I thought it would, but in the moment, it was real funny. It was, it was, it was crazy. The, the point is that sometimes we go to church, we get all excited. Yeah, I'm going to suffer and die for Jesus, and it lasts about 45 minutes. Because when we think of the suffering of Jesus, what comes to our mind and heart is, you know, going to the jungles of Brazil and being, and being speared to death by natives. <laughs> or living in the tundra and eating rattlesnakes, sleeping in the bush and giving up and living in a tent, you know, like, or, you know, being being rejected by the world and being persecuted like and going to prison and being tortured for the sake of Christ like going to China and being imprisoned for 17 years that's what we think of when we think of the sufferings of Christ but the sufferings of Christ are much greater than that the reason we interpret the sufferings of Christ that way is because we don't understand the sufferings of there's two sufferings of Christ the sufferings that Christ himself endured and the sufferings that we endure for the sake of Christ we get it in our minds that he didn't begin to suffer until the night he was betrayed. Because we think his suffering started when Judas betrayed him with a kiss. And that his suffering was all about his death and his torture and his burial. I mean, I preached sermon about, you're going to suffer with Christ. Now let's go watch the Passion of the Christ to see what that means. You'd be like, I'm finding me a different church. <laughs> I don't think I can handle that. The fact of the matter is suffering, the definition of suffering is the loss of a personal right. Whenever you surrender something that you have the right to enjoy, that is an experience of suffering. Whenever you willingly or unwillingly give up something that you have the right to perpetually enjoy, you are suffering. Follow me. Jesus began to suffer the moment he said yes to the plan of the Father to give him for the sin of the world. He began to suffer the moment the incarnation happened. He left his throne. He had the right to remain there. He had the right to enjoy the worship of the angels and of all creation for all eternity, but he gave it up. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, considered it not robbery to be equal with, with God. Actually, a better translation is, considered it not something to grasp to be equal with God. Huh. Meaning, it, he considered it not something to hold on to for dear life. Yeah. When the Father came to him and said, I want you to give all this up to go give your life for the sin of the world, he didn't say, no, Father, I'm keeping my throne. You're not taking my place at your right hand away from me. He said, all right. He was willing to let it go. He began to suffer at that moment. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spending nine months in the womb of a woman that you actually created. Wow. That's suffering. Yeah, being born. How many of you have ever had a baby or seen a baby being born? That's suffering. No, that is suffering. For the mama and the baby, can you imagine how traumatic it is to be born? how painful it is. I think that's why God said it so that your memory doesn't start until after oxygen hits your lungs so you don't remember being born. Can you imagine if you could actually remember the pain and the trauma? of it, it was, it's, it's suffering. <laughs> being born in a stable, that's suffering. Being laid in a manger, that's suffering. Submitting himself to parents that he had created. That's suffering. Submitting himself to teachers and tutors who got their wisdom from him. That's suffering. His whole life on earth is the definition of suffering. Not just the cross, but the birth and the life, the ministry. Dealing with knuckleheads and not killing them on the spot. That's suffering. Some of y'all just bore witness right there. <laughs> You know what that's like. 
But imagine if you, you have the power to make them a grease spot. I'm serious. Pharisees come against you and you're like, you don't realize I could just look up and make lightning strike you right now. That's suffering. Everything, his suffering was the sum total of the cost of saying yes to the will of his father. The definition of suffering with Christ is the sum total of the pain, loss, and inconvenience that you incur when you say yes to Jesus. Say that again. The sufferings of Christ is the sum total of the pain, loss, and inconvenience that you suffer when you say yes to Jesus, that you incur when you say yes to Jesus. We all know that if you really say yes to Jesus, it means you got to say no to a lot of other stuff. And everything that you had to say no to in order to say yes to Jesus is a component of your suffering with Christ. And so the whole Christmas story is comprised of individuals who were willing to say yes to God. And because they were willing to say yes to God, they suffered loss. And we have the Christmas story as a result. When Mary said yes to the angel that she would receive the child in her womb, even though she had never known a man, she was experiencing the sufferings of Christ because she was willing to lose her reputation in order to say yes to God. When Joseph said yes to the angel and took Mary to be his wife, he was experiencing the sufferings of Christ because he knew taking this woman who was married out of wedlock would cause him grief and cause him the loss of his reputation as well. Those were the sufferings of Christ. When the wise men from the east saw the star and packed up everything and journeyed halfway across the world to find the child, they were experiencing the sufferings of Christ. When the shepherds on the hillside heard the angel and left their flocks on the hill and went down to Bethlehem in search of the child, they were experiencing the sufferings of Christ. Everyone along the way who said yes to God, who said yes to Jesus, were living out, experiencing the sufferings of Christ. When Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee and saw two brothers in the boat mending their nets and said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. When they left their nets and left their boats and left their father, they were experiencing the sufferings of Christ. Everything that you incur in saying yes to Jesus is a component of the sufferings of Christ. So that when you leave this place today and someone cuts you off on the road (laughs) and everything inside you wants to give them a few choice words that are not from the Lord but are from the evil one, if you refuse to give that word from Satan, The pain that you incur in saying no to the devil is a component of the suffering of Christ. When your wife is acting unlovable, but you love her anyway because the Bible tells you to love your wife as Christ loved the church, the suffering you incur to love your wife is a part of the suffering of Christ. And when your husband is acting unrespectable, but you still respect him because the Bible says, wives, respect your husbands in all things, the pain that you incur to respect your husband anyway, that's a part of the sufferings of Christ. My wife just, see, my wife just bore witness. She looked up at me with eyes that said, I've suffered many things. I got a lot of glory coming my way. If, indeed, we suffer with Christ, and if you have ever said yes to Christ in a manner that caused you to say no to something else, indeed, you have suffered with Christ. When you give your tithe and offering, even though you are broke, you're not just fulfilling a divine command, you are experiencing the sufferings of Christ. When you say no to a lucrative career in order to say yes to the call of God on your life, you're not just sacrificing something. You are experiencing the sufferings of Christ. 
When you're patient, when you want to be angry. When you're kind and you bless instead of cursing. When you listen, when you want to speak. When you're slow to speak, slow to anger, and slow to wrath, but you're quick to hear. You're experiencing the suffering of Christ. You know what's interesting is one of the reasons why I love the end of the year offering that we're going to take at the end of the service today is because when you get, you know, the first tithe is the worst tithe. The first time you ever tithe, it's painful. I mean, if you get used to living on $4,000 a month and suddenly you're giving 400 of it, and now you're living on $3,600 a month, it's painful at first. Yeah. At first, you feel it. That's the sufferings of Christ. But after a while, $3,600 a month becomes the new normal. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, it's no more suffering. It's yeah. just normal. Yeah. The reason I love the end of the year offering is because suddenly I get to feel that pain again. <laughs> And you know what? I felt the pain this year. <laughs> oh, my wife told me to pray. She said, what does God want us to give today? I gave her a number. She said, I don't think that's the number. Her number was five times my number. I said, oh, Lord. <laughs> the sufferings of Christ. She said, you got to go back and pray. And I realized the reason I didn't like that number, I was looking for a painless number. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was looking for a number that would not cause me any inconvenience or pain. Yeah. I was looking for a number that I could do. And, and if you're simply doing what you can do, it doesn't stretch your faith. You're not experiencing the sufferings yeah. of Christ. Some of y'all just recalculated your number right there. <laughs> If indeed you share in his sufferings so that we might be glorified together. Now, this is our I Belong series. We're talking about what it means to be the people of God. We're talking about the foundation of our sense of belonging. When we don't understand the biblical foundation of our fellowship and of our sense of belonging, the church becomes nothing more than a religious social club. Yeah, and what binds yeah, us yeah. together is mutual interests and yeah. mutual political views and, and mutual social constructs and, and, and all of the, and we like each other and maybe we got the same career path and, and I'm going to a church and I'm looking for people who are my age. Do you know if you look around, you see a whole bunch of kinds of folks. I mean, just look around right now. How many people like you do you see? You see black faces and white faces and Latin faces and Asian faces and Mexican faces and Honduran faces and Tongan faces and African faces and, 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 and then you see me, which is a big, you know, probably all of that and then more. You see every kind of face you can possibly imagine. And in a church like this, it's hard to feel like you belong in a natural sense yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you say, well, nobody's like me. Yeah, that's true. Everybody is so different around here. I've heard, we've had, you know, the crazy thing is we have people leaving our church because nobody here is my age. I had some 25-year-olds leave the church. Nobody here is our age. Had some 40-year-olds leave the church. Nobody here is our age. Had some 50-year-old people. Nobody's leaving our age. Nobody here is our age. Some 60-year-olds. Nobody here is our age. Uh, they all can't be right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's some, somebody is somebody's age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, remember, I remember when we were trying to get community. Okay, I'm just talking to y'all today. Is that okay? Yeah. I remember we were trying to get community groups off the ground a few, several years ago, and we had a congregational meeting, and we said, we're going to talk about community groups. What kind of community groups do you want? And one person said, I'm a parent, and I want to be in a group only with other parents. And then somebody else said, I live in Benicia. I want to be in a group with people in Benicia. And somebody else said, well, I live in San Leandro, but I want to go to the Fremont group because I like the leader of that group. And somebody else said, I want a group for black people. And somebody else said, I want a group for young adult Koreans. And somebody else said, I want a group for white people who like this. And other people I want a group for Latins who like salsa music. And somebody else said, I want a group that's a bicyclers. Everybody rides bicycles. And nobody said anything about Jesus or God or the Holy Spirit. The YMCA is down the street. There's plenty of clubs out there that you could go to that are built around human interest. 
But the foundation of our fellowship and our sense of belonging is not that there's folks who do what I do and not that there's folks who are my age, not that there's folks with my skin color, not that there's folks who grew up where I grew up, not that there's folks who share my political views, but the fact that we are all children of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, if we suffer together, we'll be glorified together. If we share in Christ's sufferings together, we will experience Christ's glory together. That is the sense of belonging that comes from suffering together. Is that if we do not lose heart, if we we do not become weary in well-doing, we reap a harvest in due time. Do you know that God said in Psalm chapter 50, verse 5, he said, Gather to me my chosen ones, those who have made covenant with me by sacrifice. When you meet someone who made a sacrifice that hurt at the core of their being, and you've made a sacrifice that hurt at the core of your being, There's a level of fellowship and resonance of spirit that happens there because you have come into contact with one who has experienced the sufferings of Christ. The question is, why? Why does God expect us to suffer with Christ? Isn't it enough for Christ to suffer by himself? I mean, for real, didn't they tell me that Christ died for my sins so that I didn't have to die? (laughs) Right? I mean, for real. Like, I'm glad he died so I don't have to die. (laughs) I'm glad he suffered so I don't have to suffer. Now, there is, there there are really two truths about the cross of Jesus Christ that we must understand. The first is that he died for us instead of us in our place, and the second is that he died with us, alongside us. That's why there were two thieves on either side of him. He was not crucified by himself, but he was crucified with two thieves. He died for them instead of them, but he also died with them. The substitutionary character of his death on the cross means that by dying on the cross, He paid a price for our sins that we could never pay. And there is no amount of suffering or sacrifice that could ever, ever make up for your sin and my sin. The suffering of Christ that we share with him has nothing to do with making up for your sins. Zero. Zero. And if you're thinking, well, I guess I need to just endure this because I deserve this because of the things I've done in my life, you're trying to die on the cross for your own sins. You need to get it out of your head, that whole concept of punishment. You need to get it out of your head because that's not what the sufferings of Christ are about. It's not about the fact that you don't deserve any better. It's not about the fact that you just need to be thankful for what you got and stop hoping for something more. That's not what it's about at all. It's not about you paying the price for your sin. The suffering of Christ that we incur is about our fellowship and identification yeah. with him. Yeah, that's good. Let me, give you a, let me give you an example. Have you ever, <laughs> I talked, <laughs> I, I hear this story a lot. I talked to, uh, I, I, I actually just heard it recently that this, this guy got jumped and he had three of his friends with him and four guys jumped him in a public place and beat the tar out of him while his three friends just watched. Can you imagine that? You're walking with three of your friends. You feel safe because there's four of you. And then four guys jump on you, and they got you on the ground just beating you and stomping you, and your three friends are just going. No, that's a real story, and I've heard it more than once. It just burns me up. Just burns me up. You say, why didn't you help your friend? I was afraid they was going to beat me too. (laughs) They might hit me in the face. They hit him in the face. They're going to hit me in the face, too. I just got these clothes. (laughs) 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 My dad is tapping on me in the front row. (laughs) 
Didn't the disciples do that? Jesus gets betrayed, they drag him off to the court, and he's being tried in there, and, and Peter's outside warming his hands by the fire, and they're like, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? He's like, nope. Mm-mm, not me. Mm-mm, I don't know. Mm-mm. Go to find me another fire. <laughs> he goes to another fire, they're like, aren't you one of his disciples? No, I don't know. I've never met the man. I don't even know who he is. They're like, but you look just like him. Do you realize discipleship, when you were a disciple in ancient Israel, you dressed like your rabbi, you wore your beard like your rabbi, you wore your hair, you were like a carbon copy of your rabbi. They looked at Peter, they're like, look at you with your hair all slicked back and a big beard. You're wearing the same style robe. You got got it from the same store. It's only 12 of y'all that dress like that in Israel. Of course you're one of his disciples. Mm -mm. Nah, you got the wrong, I'm from out of, I ain't even from here. I'm from from New York. I'm from Buffalo. (laughs) Shoot, I'm going to find me another fire. Then he goes down to another fire, and he's, and he's warming his hands by the fire, and somebody else goes, you're one of his disciples. And it said he started cussing. <laughs> Peter's like, mother, I told you I'm not his disciple. <laughs> Who said Cindy? That's messed up. What Peter faced in this moment was the question of whether he was willing to identify with Christ in his suffering or not. It was the suffering of identification, not the suffering of substitution. He was was not faced with the opportunity to die for his own sins. He was simply faced with the opportunity to say, yes, that's right. I'm about this guy, Jesus. Yes, I'm his disciple. And I've made a decision to follow him with all of my life. It is the identification with Christ that happens outside of the church. Because, you know, we do the same. We come to church, we lift our hands, we say about 27 hallelujahs. But there's no identification with Christ outside of the church. And sometimes even inside of the church, there's no identification with Christ. We come to the building, but we stand on the back wall and just kind of watch the worship. Take out our phones and Instagram it. But we're not participating. It's the fellowship of identification. The question is, are you willing to suffer rejection for the sake of identifying with Christ? Now, don't get me wrong. This can be misapplied. (laughs) We had a guy in our church who was was, uh, crazy before he got saved. He was like gangster crazy, like. He was actually like thug, thug, thugged out crazy. And when he first got saved, he still had some ways that, you know, he was still working on. He was still being sanctified, right? And one of those things was he was still, he was still on these drugs that he was taking. And so one day he's high out of his mind and he's walking up the street. And on this one drug, he would, when he would take it, he would just feel bold as a lion. And he's walking up the street and there was a Mexican restaurant. And he looked at his friend. He goes, I'm about to go in this Mex- Mexican restaurant and I'm going to say Jesus is Lord. And if anybody even looks at me crazy, I'm going to whoop them for Jesus. And then he bursts in the Mexican restaurant. Jesus is Lord. And nobody even looked at him. And he went. That's a form of identification that actually doesn't identify. (laughs) In other words, if you're suffering rejection because you're simply being foolish in your testimony about Jesus, that's not the sufferings of Christ. If you're suffering because you're just acting a fool in Jesus' name, and you're acting in a way that Jesus never would have acted, that's not the sufferings of Christ. All right. I, I'll move off that point. Let's go to the next point. Next, I, I need to get us out of here because it's, it's Christmas Sunday. I'm not going to keep you all here too long. It's all right. Thank you, Daddy. My daddy <laughs> said it's all right. So it's all right. <laughs> Why? This is a question I asked and I never got to. Why do we need to suffer with Christ? Yeah. What's the purpose of it? Do you realize that the sufferings of Christ are what facilitate the benevolence of God. 
Follow me. The sufferings of Christ facilitate the benevolence of God. If we are willing to suffer with Christ, the Father can continue to be benevolent in the way that he desires. Yeah, yeah. I want you to get this picture. What's John 3.16? This is the heart of the gospel, right? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten son or his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The moment the Father decided to give, Jesus began to suffer. The sufferings of Christ facilitated the desire of the Father to give. The Father wanted to be benevolent, benevolent, but in order to be benevolent, the Son needed to agree to suffer. The Father had to come to the Son and say, look, I want to give a gift to the world. Really, Father, what gift do you want to give to the world? I want to give them the gift of eternal life. I see the world that's in bondage to sin. I want to break that bondage and set them free. I want to give a gift of healing and reconciliation to the world. I want to bring eternal freedom, and I want want to make a pathway into eternity that everyone who believes in me can come to be where I am and to live in my kingdom forever. I want to make them all sons and daughters of mine. I, I I want to give a gift to the world. That's awesome, but son, if I give that gift to the world, I need you to help me. Yeah, Dad, whatever you need. What do you need? I need you to give yourself. Son, I want to give the gift of eternal life to the world, but in order to give that gift to the world, i got to give you. Are you willing to let me give you? And because Jesus was willing to let the Father give him, the Father was able to be benevolent and give the gift of eternal life to the world, but only because Jesus was willing to suffer. Follow me here. Your wife is acting a trip, angry about nothing. She's mad at you and you haven't even done nothing. She's mad at you because she had a dream. And you did something in the dream that she's ticked off about. And she woke up this morning mad and she's punishing you for what you did in the dream. And everything in you wants to say something. But you hear the father whispering in your ear, saying, hey, listen, son, your wife is my daughter, and I want to give her a gift today. I want to give her a gift of unconditional love and acceptance and forgiveness. I want to give her the gift of kindness, even though she doesn't deserve it at this moment. But in... But in order for me to give her that gift of kindness, I've got to give her you. Can I give her you today? Can I give her you? And everything inside me says, nah. (laughs) You can give her me tomorrow, but today I'm about to say something. No, son, I need you not to say anything because... I want to give your wife a gift. Can I be benevolent? You have no idea how benevolent Mm. I want to be today. Mm. I'm like, but daddy, when are you going to be benevolent to me? (laughs) When are you going to give me her? Son, that's none of your business. I just need you to hear me today, son. I want to give her a gift of unconditional kindness and love. Will you let me give her you? And like Jesus, who said yes and was led as a sheep to the slaughter, who had done nothing wrong, committed no sin, but yet said yes to the Father to incur the greatest injustice that was ever committed in all of history. And even though he endured that injustice, he found himself on the cross saying, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. But you had to say something. 
the sufferings of Christ facilitate the benevolence of God. How often does God desire to be benevolent, but he can't find a vessel. He can't find somebody who's willing to say, God, you can give me. God, here I am. You can give me. God, if you need to send someone, you can send me. God, I surrender my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. You can give me. If you want to show your kindness to somebody, anybody, just let me know, Father, and you can give me. God is looking for someone to fellowship with. And, and what happens when you're willing to give of yourself and when you're willing to allow the Father to give you and when you're willing to surrender in the moment, whatever the moment is, a big moment or a small moment, yeah. but you're willing to surrender and say no to something that you want to say yes to. Why? Because you want the Father to give you yeah. and say yes to something that you want to say no to. Why? Because you're willing to let give you at that very moment where you surrender yourself so that the father can be benevolent there's a resonance a bearing witness between you and Christ and Christ's like that's what I did when I gave my life and you're like I know I feel that I know what that's like now and Christ's like I know you know what that's like because I just watched you give yourself there and you're like yeah now I understand just a little bit of what it meant that you gave yourself and all of a sudden you experience this fellowship with Jesus because you were willing to suffer injustice you were willing to give yourself in a moment when you wanted to retain possession of yourself the father is able to be benevolent because you were willing to suffer with Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave. And he continues to love. And he continues to give. All he's looking for are individuals, men and women, who are willing to enter into that Christmas story with the Son of God and come to that manger yeah. and say, you know what? The Spirit is bearing witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God too. And if I'm a child, then I'm an heir, an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. And here's the beautiful thing about it. The beautiful thing is Paul says, if indeed we suffer with him, that we might be glorified together. If indeed we suffer with him, that we might be glorified together. What that means is that there is no suffering that you could ever incur for the name of Christ that God does not reward. There is no sacrifice that you could ever make that is so great that the Father can't reward it. Listen, this is the word for 2019. In 2018, you have learned what it means to sacrifice and you have learned what it means to suffer and you have learned what it means to endure. But in 2019, you're going to discover God the giver. You're going to discover God the rewarder. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God wants you to know that he's got a reward for your sacrifice. He's got a reward for your suffering that at every place where you suffered loss because you said yes to Christ, God says, wait until you meet God the rewarder. Wait, you let me give you. Now watch what happens when I give to you. He said, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. God says, you have no clue that you can never outgive me. You have no clue that you can never outgive me, that what you sacrifice for me is nothing in compared with what I'm about to give to you. The glory is always greater than the sacrifice. The glory is always greater than the suffering. And when you get a revelation of the fact that the glory is always greater than the suffering, all of a sudden the suffering doesn't become suffering anymore. When you get the revelation that the glory is always greater than the suffering, suddenly the suffering does not feel like suffering anymore. If I set up an investment account for you that was guaranteed to make you 20% interest for year, per year, and all you had to do was put your life savings in it, it would not feel like suffering to put your money in that account. Yeah. Yeah. 
But if I told you, put your money in this account, in two weeks the bank's going to go out of business and you're going to lose your whole investment, but do it anyway. That feels like suffering. Because what you give is lost. When you understand the reward, and when you get a revelation of God the rewarder, there is no form of suffering for Christ that doesn't feel like a privilege. Today, Jesus is inviting us into his fellowship. The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Not at the end of your life when you're persecuted and die. But just when you leave today and you're driving home and somebody cuts you off. Fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. By just speaking a blessing. God, I just bless them. And not one of them sarcastic blessings. Lord, just bless them. But in your mind, you're thinking, curse them. Send hot fire down on their head. Leave them neither root nor branch. Break the teeth in their mouth. <laughs> Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Saying yes to God. In a moment when people don't understand that you're saying yes to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes that's the sufferings of Christ. Yep, yep. Sometimes you're going to make decisions in your life that people are not going to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Grace, come to the keyboard just for a minute. I, I remember when I was in high school, my senior year, and I was offered a recording contract. I won a <coughs> singing competition, a solo <coughs> competition. And I was offered a signing bonus, contract, and a tour. And I went and I spent a night and a day in prayer in the prayer room at our church. And the Lord told me, don't take it. And I came home, I told my mom and dad, I said, the Lord told me not to take it. And they looked at me with pride and approval. Our son is listening to the Lord. But there were some family members that didn't feel the same way. They called me a mama's boy and everything else. Said I was afraid to be a part for mom and dad. I was so confused by that because I had already traveled all over the world with the boys choir. And the one who called me a mama's boy was still living with his mama. <laughs> and he was 35 years old. But you know what I realized at that moment? I said yes to Jesus. And it cost me something. But it doesn't feel like a loss. There's no way I can lose by saying yes to Jesus. There's no way I can lose by surrendering the lesser in exchange for the greater. He is no fool who surrenders what he cannot keep in order to obtain what he cannot lose. To obtain an inheritance reserved in heaven for you who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time and all you got to do is say no to a contract or a job or an opportunity to cuss somebody out. What you lose is minuscule. It feels huge in the moment, but it's not huge. And folks are afraid to come to Christ because they're afraid of what they're going to lose. It's a great problem in American Christianity that folks who know that Christ is real and know that his gospel is true and know that God is real and know that God has a call upon their lives, but yet year after year after year, they refuse to come to him. Why? Because I'm not done. I'm not done doing what I want to do. I'm not done living my own way. I'm not done walking my own way. We're so afraid of what we're going to lose. And even in the church, we can be carnal Christians who are still trying to hold on to our lives and hold on to our own way and not willing to let go and let God because we're afraid of loss. If you're afraid of loss, you haven't come to know Him who is the giver. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. Amen. She bore witness. You see, we're so afraid of what comes after the if. Most of us in our hearts want what comes before the if. We want to be children of God, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. 
But we're so afraid of what comes after the if. We're so afraid of if indeed you suffer with him. We're so afraid to say yes to what comes after the if that we disqualify ourselves from participating in what's before the if. But I'm telling you today that if you say yes to what comes after the if, if you make a decision today and say, I'm going to say yes to what comes after the if, I'm telling you that what comes before the if will more than make up for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's more than better. Yes, it is. Bow your heads with me today. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would banish the fear of suffering loss. The fear of what I'll lose if I say yes to you. Lord, there are so many things in life that feel so important, but they are not important. They're worthless. They're dung. They're garbage. But they feel so important. So often we can be so afraid of losing. So afraid of what I lose. So afraid of what I lose that I'm afraid to say yes. But God, today I pray that you would judge that fear in the name of Jesus, that you would break it off of every heart and every mind, that there'd be a new boldness today that says, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence, daily live. I surrender all. If you're here today, under the sound of my voice, you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have not said yes to Jesus. If your heart is ready, I want you right now, just in your own heart, to say yes. To say yes. Forget about what you're afraid of losing. Forget about what you're afraid of giving up. Say yes. Say yes. Yes, Jesus. Some of you just need to say it out loud right now. Jesus, I say yes to you. I say yes to you, Jesus. And maybe you still feel that fear of losing. I want you to judge that fear right now in your own heart and mind. Say, Jesus, I renounce that fear of loss. I break the back of that fear of what I'm going to lose. I renounce that fear. I reject that fear of what I'm going to lose in the name of Jesus. I say yes to you. I say yes to you today. I say yes to you today. I say yes to you today. And if that's you and you've today said yes to Jesus, when this service is over, when everything's over, I want you to come shake my hand. I want to shake your hand. I want to give you a hug. You don't have to lift your hand. You don't have to come to the front right now. I just want you to hold that in your heart. I'm going to ask you not to leave today till you come shake my hand. If in your heart you said yes to Jesus and you're ready to make that change in your life, to say yes, you're not going to fear loss anymore. You're going to surrender your life to Jesus if that's you. And some of you, you've never done it before. Others of you, you've done it before, but you've backslidden, but you're coming back today. I want you to come shake my hand. I just want to look you in the eye, shake your hand, give you a hug, and commend you for saying yes to Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would comfort and encourage and empower the yes in Jesus' name.